Chapter Twenty One of Fruits of the Spirit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. Fruits of the Spirit by Hamilton Wright Maybe. Chapter Twenty One There Are No Dead. We have done much to Christianize our farewells to those who have gone before us into the next stage of life. We no longer darken the rooms that now more than ever need the light and warmth of the sun. We no longer close the windows as if to shut out nature at the moment when we are about to give back to Mother Earth all that was mortal in the earthy career now finished. We no longer shroud the house in black. We make it sweet with flowers. For the hymns of grief we are fast substituting the hymns of victory. For words charged with a sense of loss, we listen to words that hold wide the door of hope and faith. And on the memorials which we place where they lie who have vanished from our sight, we no longer carve the skull and crossbones, the hourglass and the scythe. We recall some trait or quality or achievement that survives the body and commemorates the spirit. We have done much to Christianize our treatment of what we call death, to emphasize our faith in the immortal life, but we do not take to ourselves the immense helpfulness, the radiancy of joy in the sublime truth which Christ brought to light. There is still too much of the shadowy vagueness of the early pagan thought of the future, and many are missing not only an hourly comfort, but a deep peace of spirit and a glorious expectation. We confuse ourselves by the forms of speech we use when we talk of this life and of the future life as if they were two lives of our mortal life as if it were different in kind from the immortal life. There is only one life, and that is immortal, here and now. The life of the body is not our life any more than we are the houses we live in. The house may be destroyed or may decay, but we are not imprisoned in it, and its fate is not our fate. We can go out of it when we choose and make ourselves another house. Our bodies are the servants of our spirit, after a time they may cease to obey us, but because the eyes refuse to see, the sense of vision is not impaired. Because the feet refuse to walk, the mind does not cease to travel. When an injury befalls us, we do not say, I am broken. We say, my arm is broken. In speech and in action, we habitually dissociate ourselves from our bodies and affirm our superiority to them. Shattered, broken, tortured with pain, we remained undismayed and unsubdued. Ney, who was called the lion of the French army, was of highly sensitive physical organization. On one occasion, when he was directing a battle from an eminence under heavy fire, he noticed that his aides were smiling. Looking down, he saw that his knees were rattling against his saddle. "'You poor knees,' he said. "'How you would rattle if you knew where I am going to take you in a minute.' The bravest men are not those who are insensible to physical fear, but those who master it by courage of spirit. The purest and noblest are not those who have never felt the temptations of the body, but those who have resisted them. There is no body in the sense of something fixed and complete apart from the spirit. The body, like the earth to which it returns, is never the same two days in succession. It is always changing and the man of seventy-five has already lived in seven or eight bodies. It is literally true that we die daily, in the only sense in which we ever die, 
that is to say, we change, which is what death really means. When the boy in The Bluebird goes with fear and trembling into the burying ground, he finds it a sunny meadow and cries out to his frightened sister, There are no dead! The question is sometimes asked, Does death end all? Death ends nothing. It is simply a change. There are no dead in the sense in which the phrase is commonly used. There are only the living in the vast mystery of life which enfolds us all, on the fathomless stream of life which bears us all forward. We are here for a little time, as we are often in inns where we make friends who are dear to us, and then we leave them and go on to another stage in our journey. We miss them and they miss us, and neither their places nor ours are ever taken by others. But we see new landscapes, and pass through new experiences into a larger world, and they presently follow us. We are separated and are often lonely, but we look forward joyfully to new sights and sounds, and to the hour when, further on in the journey, we shall look into their eyes and hear their voices. To think of life as one and indivisible, of immortality as our possession here and now, of death as normal change in an eternal process of growth, of those whom we call dead as more intensely alive than when we saw them, is to transform the experience which has overshadowed the world for centuries as the end of happiness into a larger freedom and joy, and to make immortality not a vague expectation, but a glorious opening of the doors and windows of the house of life. While we poor wayfarers still toil, with hot and bleeding feet, along the highway and the dust of life, writes Dr. Martineau, our companions have but mounted the divergent path, to explore the more sacred streams, and visit the divine vales, and wander amid the everlasting Alps of God's upper provinces of creation. And so we keep up the courage of our hearts, and refresh ourselves with the memories of love, and travel forward in the ways of duty, with less weary step, feeling ever for the hand of God, and listening for the domestic voices of the immortals, whose happy welcome awaits us. Death, in short, under the Christian aspect, is but God's method of colonization, the transition from this mother country of our race to the fairer and newer world of our emigration. End of chapter 21